All right, everybody, welcome back to an episode of Honestly Bilal. This is episode number two. I have a different change of scenery today, and I'm here with a new guest. Today, I'm here with Dr. Harris Ahmed. He is an incoming resident at Loma Linda University. Uh, Harris and I have an actually a pretty interesting story of how we got to know each other. Um, basically, we kind of met on Twitter, and uh, he actually reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we're, we're having this webinar, a group of residents and I, and we would like to, you know, spread the word to medical students. And at the time, I was getting more active on Twitter, so I kind of found a way to collaborate with him. I actually tagged a bunch of program directors and asked them if they were willing to help. I did not expect the response I got. They were all actually really willing to help out. And it was a great panel that we had. And, and uh, we had I think about 200 people attend from nine different countries. So it was a, it was a really successful webinar. And um, after that, you know, we just, I, I was really excited to just get to know him better. We share the same last name. So yeah, uh, it's been, yeah so it's been great to, to get to know you. And I'm actually really excited to have you as one of my earliest guests. So welcome. Thank you. And, and our last name is very common. It's like for, the Johnson or Smith or Brown people. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. We're not like secretly brothers or cousins or anything. Right. Right. That's not. Who knows? Maybe we are. Maybe we are related. You maybe. Know. Maybe years back. You know. But full disclosure here. There's. You know. I have no disclosures to really tell because I'm a medical student. But we are not related. So that's one I will say. That's funny. Yeah. So. Yeah, man, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. You know. We. We. You know. If there's. Do you want to share anything about how we met or anything like that? Yeah, man. You know, I was, I've been on Twitter a lot recently. I'm in that purgatory phase between, you know, finishing medical school and starting residency. So there's some, some time, some downtime there. And I saw, you know, on Twitter, I saw that you had your rotation canceled and I thought that that was unfortunate. I know for me, just coming off of that process, it's very stressful. And the away rotations, especially if you're coming from a school that's not a big name school is, uh, is very, you know, important. The away rotations are the way you kind of interact with programs, you meet people, you meet faculty, you get letters of recommendation, you get to understand what ophthalmology is about in, a, in an academic setting, and you really get so many opportunities. And without that away rotation or multiple of those rotations, it's very hard to really match because you're not as much of a known commodity. Right. And that's something that we'll discuss today too, is you know how can you make yourself a known commodity to, to match in ophthalmology? Because I think that's the biggest challenge coming from a smaller school is it's just getting your name out there and, and, get, and getting your name normalized. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So in like in my situation, like you, you related really well. I feel like me and other students, we don't have, some of us don't have, uh, you know, ophthalmology departments or home residency programs. So, and I know you were in the similar situation. So we're really looking forward to hearing your perspective about how, how you did that. And uh, yeah. So why don't you start off telling us, you know, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? What's your background? Where are you from? Yeah, man, I'm from Southern California. So my parents, they both immigrated from Pakistan when they were young in their, in their teenage years. And uh, I was born in Orange County in a city called Santa Ana. And then I was raised in Inland Empire. And Inland Empire sounds really cool. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but it's not that you know, cool. But it's, it's San Bernardino and Riverside counties. And it's kind of the, the forgotten part of Southern California, maybe. And uh, it, it's, it's not as, as beautiful as Orange County or LA County. We don't have beaches, but we do have a lot of nice national parks. What's interesting about the Inland Empire is that it is a health professional shortage area, both counties. Okay. And they're very medically underserved. And you tend not to think of that. You think of Southern California. Sometimes people think of Southern California as a monolith, you know, that's all wealth and things like that. Sure. But sure. There's, there's a lot of, you know, variations and, and your life expectancy can differ as much as, you know, five to 10 years, depending on what part of California you're, you're in. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, my background where I'm from. I was the first to go to college uh, in my family. 
you know, first to graduate from college, you know, go to medical school, so on and so forth. So I'm very uh, lucky and uh, happy to do that. Yeah, that's an awesome story. Sounds like, you know, you're definitely a pure California kid, it seems like. So look, I'm glad that you're back home for, for your residency, too. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, definitely glad to be back home. Sure, sure. So, you know, tell us why, why, when did you know as a kid or, in, or, you know, growing up or when did you find out medicine is what I have to do? I want to do medicine. I want to go to med school. So, you know, Asian parents all want their kids to be doctors, man. You know, every, every Asian parent, I mean, I'm sure your parents are the same way. So the standard, well, for me, yep. for me yeah. it was a little different. I actually, they always told me work hard, whatever you do, just work hard. We don't care. But you know, I, I know that I have similar yeah. friends. I have friends who are exactly, I know people who have that similar, you know, yeah. so, story. so I had parents that really emphasized, you know, being a doctor from a young age. And, and I kind of just said, you know, what sounds good. And, but then I had an experience in my life when I was about 12 and my younger brother who was seven years younger than me, he was five. He, you know, he picked up a rattlesnake. You know, and I've shared this story in other uh, mediums as well, but he picked up a baby rattlesnake because he thought that was a good idea. He shook it, it bit him, and uh, he, he was, you know, his life was in danger, and it was a huge, huge deal. You know, we called the paramedics, and they came, and they flew him in a helicopter to Loma Linda, you know, ironically, where I'm going to be doing residency, yeah. and luckily over there, there was a world-renowned rattlesnake expert, Dr. Bush, and uh, Dr. Sean Bush, and he saved my brother's life, and uh, it was that experience that I had that made me want to pursue medicine because you know, up until that point as a kid, your parents provide comfort for you. They provide, you know, guidance in every situation. But that was a situation where my parents were even panicked. And it was Dr. Bush who was really, you know, in control. And he took care of the situation, took care of my, my family, took care of my brother, saved his life. And I knew from that moment that I wanted to do that for someone else. I wanted to give that comfort to other families. I wanted to maybe save someone else's life. And, and that's really what started it for me. Wow. Well, that's a crazy story. And it's actually funny how things tie back around and maybe it's your fate or your destiny that Loma Linda is now where you're at. That's yeah. It's funny because I, I went, I took my dad to go look at the hospital because it's, it's 20 minutes from where I, where my parents live, where I'm from okay. Loma Linda. And sure. that was the first time he had gone back since my brother had been, been my Oh, wow. State. Okay. Yeah. And they have like a new building now. So he was like, Oh wow, this is really nice. Yeah. But it's, it's crazy how life can come around like that. hundred percent, hundred percent. So then so, you know, you went to medical school and you went to an osteopathic medical school. So when did you figure out ophthalmology is what you wanted to do? Because I know exposure is limited in, in, your, um, in your types of medical school. So talk about that with us, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, definitely there's a more of a community emphasis in DO medical schools. If you look at DO medical schools, they tend to be in underserved areas. They tend to recruit students from underserved communities. And then after DOs graduate, they tend to practice in underserved areas as well. So there's a tradition there that really lends itself more to primary care. But even, even with that history and that emphasis, still 50% of DOs go into specialties. So for me, when I was applying to medical school, all, a lot of my mentors were DOs. So it just was a logical step for me to apply to both MD and DO schools. And I was able to get into a school in New Mexico and, and it worked out well for me. And you know, ophthalmology specifically, it was, it was an undergrad. I wanted to get some shadowing experience, so I'll be able to apply for medical school. And I reached out to a local a member of my mosque. He was an ophthalmologist, and I asked him, you know, do you have any opportunities to shadow? I need shadowing experience. You know, we all need that for medical school. And he said, yeah, you know, you can come with me to uh, a mission trip. So it was a pretty big uh, response he gave me. I was wow. expecting me to show up, you know, in an outpatient clinic and just sure, kind of sure. hang out. But he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to Guatemala in a couple of months. So you come with me to that. So I went with him and his organization called Humanity First. Uh, 
He's a, he's a member of that organization. It's a very big nonprofit international, and I recommend students to look into that, whether you're a pre-med or medical student, because they do trips all over the world. Sure. And it was an ophthalmology camp, and I got, you know, that experience that changed my life. You know, you get to see the surgeries, the microsurgeries, the technology. You get to see people who couldn't work. These are rural workers in Guatemala. They couldn't work. They couldn't provide for their family anymore because they were blind. Sure. And as a result of the surgeries, they were able to see again, work again. Not just work, but enjoy life. Enjoy sure. their, you know, see the intricacies of nature. Look right. at the trees. Look at the leaves. Look at the, the color of their grandkids' eyes, so on and so forth. Right. And so to be able to work and, and provide for your family. So I thought that was extremely impactful and powerful. And then when I went to New Mexico for medical school, I found, you know, that there are many communities that are not too different from third world countries. Sure. And so the point being is that there's a huge need. There's a lot of underserved communities domestically as well as international. And I felt, I felt that ophthalmology was really an opportunity for me to alleviate some of those disparities. Sure. So, so it seems like global health was kind of what tied you in. It kind of hooked you. Is that right? Yeah, that got yeah. me in. Yeah. And right. then it was kind of confirmed with, then you go into the rotations, you see the technology. It's, it's very synergistic. Sure. You see the different imaging and it's so beautiful. I mean, you look at the retina is so beautiful. The iris is so beautiful. The slit lamp is so cool. Yeah. And then you see that the surgeries are relatively quick. Mm -hmm. uh, the lifestyle is good. And then those, these minor things come up as well. But the core of it really is just the, the profound impact you can have uh, by restoring someone's vision. Because it's so important to all of us. You know, we all need to be able to see. So just that, that's really the main, the main draw for me. Yeah. No, and actually saying for me, what got me in was actually really weirdly similar experience. I was in college or in, uh, in high school, met ophthalmologist in college. He took me on a mission trip with him and I was so up from there. So I think that's what kind of, I think the global health aspect is something that really is impactful in ophthalmology and that people are really interested in breaking that ground and trying to come up with solutions for it. So I think it's really cool that that is something that's part of the field that is not only can you do global health, but you can be really impactful too. And really, you know, hopefully in quick, in quick surgeries and stuff and, you know, sustainable care is something that I've talked about in my last episode. And, you know, I think hopefully with, with your interest in policy that we're going to talk about, um, you know, I, I'm sure that's something you're interested in too. So going from there, you know, I know you have an, an MPH and instead yeah. of kind of knowing, you know, where I know you did your MPH and everything, but how is getting, how has gotten a master's in public health kind of changed your worldview and how you think through that um, in terms of when you got into medical school, how did it help you medical school learn and how did it change the way you think? That, that's a great question. So, you know, often what happens is, is people do their MPH while they're in medical school, you know, and, and they'll do it after their second year or third year, or a lot of times even afterwards, after they graduate or they're a resident or an attending or in the future. So for me, I did it before and it really enhanced my perspective. I mean, I got a global perspective of a healthcare system. What are the strengths of the American healthcare system? What are the weaknesses? What are the strengths of some international models? Can they even be applied? And if they can be applied to us, how can they be applied? What lessons can we learn from each other? Sure. And then on a practical level, when you see a patient, you're able to kind of put them and place them in this broader sense. You can you understand that, okay, based on this patient's background, what community they're from, their education level, their culture, these are all things that are going to impact the way they interact with the healthcare system. And it should impact the way I treat them in a, in a positive way. And it should make it more comprehensive to incorporate some of the realities they may, they may face. For example, you know, they may not be able to get transportation to get to the clinic. Right. They, that's something as simple as that, or it can be even far more complex as, as their built environment in their homes. And do they have access to healthy eating and things like that and, and how that contributes to their health status. So that's one area in which it really helped me. And, you know, I did my MPH at USC. It was, it was a very comprehensive program. It was two years. We had to do a practicum. So I got job experience. I worked for Cedar sinai for a year. Wow. 
was a community health educator. I would go to second grade schools in, in mid-city Los Angeles and teach the kids about healthy eating and healthy lifestyle. I got to see a lot of disparities there. You know, I was traveled to Sacramento as a part of the program, met, met with state legislators. So mm -hmm. that's what really got me into policy and understanding that prospect. I, I realized then that the physician perspective is not adequately represented in policy discussions. It is represented and it's getting better, but it's still not the pl at this place we need it to be. And I knew that I, I needed to stay involved in advocacy and policy later on. And then while I got into, when I got into medical school, it helped me a lot. I was able to you know, look at research and you know, biostatistics and understand those things a lot easier, looking at studies and figuring out how this study applies, what's the quality of this study. And you know, most importantly for me was the policy stuff. You know, I was able to do a lot of policy work in medical school. I, I met with the current Surgeon General, Dr. Adams. Oh, wow. I met with the previous Surgeon General, Dr. Novello. I've published a policy white paper while in school. I authored seven resolutions that were passed at, at the state and national levels through different societies. I've had publications in academic medicine related to medical education. Uh, I have stuff coming out in the future. And, and you know, so I served on COCA currently on a COCA committee. And for those who don't know who COCA is, that's the accreditation body for DO medical schools. And I can kind of go on in a, in a boring list of, of stuff I'm able to do, but it opened up a lot of opportunities for me as sure. well. Right. And it made me kind of unique uh, yeah. in that respect, yeah. Absolutely. So, and, and then I'm guessing those experiences, you know, just the range of where you've been in terms of, you know, helping second graders in your local community to getting to talk to surgeon general. I mean, that's such a span of, uh, of such a wealth of different, you know, opportunities that has it formed your career interests? And do you know where you want to go with this in, in the future? Or talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think it definitely informed my interest. I, what I saw was even as a medical student, you can have so much influence and legitimacy. And I think medical students and physicians, uh, they, they do realize that it's just a matter of time. You know, there's so many responsibilities. So, you know, a physician and medical student, they have their responsibilities to medicine, learning, right. applying to patients. Then you have your family responsibilities. So there's not much time. But, but for me, it, it, you know, policy became really important. And I was able to help pass multiple laws in the state of New Mexico related to public health. And for me, what, it, what I realized is, is physicians have a unique voice that's respected. They have an expertise sure. right. that people are willing to listen to. And uh, it's hard to make that time, but for me, I was able to make that time and I wanted to stay involved in policy. And, and now I'm working on some projects related to, you know, medical education and residency spots. You know, wow. how do we increase access to physicians in, in underserved areas? You know, there are some organizations or some people believe that we should just uh, lift the Medicare cap, which, which constrains residency funding. And I have a little bit of a more sophisticated approach in, in that we should have a more targeted GME plan. And I have a publication coming soon that's going to come up with an, that's going to give an outline basically on, on, in my humble opinion, how we should go about increasing residency spots and access to physician care. And so it's definitely, you know, definitely inform my pursuits. I, I want to stay involved uh, any way that I can, uh, you know, to end on this question, uh, you know, San Bernardino Riverside County is the counties that I'm from, like I said, medically underserved right. and federally qualified health centers. Uh, I'm sure you know what that is. 40% of FQHCs are in Inland Empire for Southern California. Wow. So meaning, yeah, so, so these two counties represent almost half of the federally qualified health centers sure. in, in that entire region. And only 7% of federally qualified health centers have a full-time ophthalmologist, right? So that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. And so, so little things like that is, uh, that I'm hoping to address using the policy experience that I have. Got and it. then also just as a resident, that's my number one focus moving forward is, is, you know, how can I use my experiences on the ground with patients to help inform my policy pursuits also, because that's really important is, is being on the ground and seeing really what's going on 
instead of a you know theoretical approach. Sure. So you're you're the kind of person I'm guessing who likes to think of things from a macro level scale. Is that is that pretty much yeah. accurate? Yeah. Yeah. You, you right. kind of start macro and then you and you bring it down micro and then I think it's all important. Sure. You know, it, for me, it's really important to have a global picture, and then you break it down to practically what does this mean? What what can I do now to contribute? to the problem. Like the global picture in this sense is we have a physician shortage across the country. We have an issue of ophthalmologist shortage also as well. And so now how can we address that issue? How can we get more ophthalmologists in high need areas? How can we get more physicians in high need areas? Mm -hmm. Right. That's the problem. And so what can I do? What I can do is work with, you know, state and, and national organizations, create policy, advocate, so on and so forth, write publications, things like that. Got so. It. So, so in terms of, you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of ironic. Now my last two guests have, have MPHs, right? So okay. I don't have an MPH and I don't foresee myself having, you know, until I graduate, having the opportunity to get one. So what can medical students know? What can we know about, you know, policy and stuff like that and how to get involved? Do we, I think sometimes we're just afraid to think that, you know, maybe we don't have the experience to do that or get introduced to it. So talk about that. How can we, you know, how can the, the common medical student get involved with policy and, and think about these things that you're talking about? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, when, as I say all these things that I've been involved in and all these projects, just know that this is not the expectation or, the, you know, that you don't have to do all this stuff. And there's different ways to get involved in policy. It can be intimidating. Like you said, you don't have to have an MPH. You don't have to have like a formal training and, and have all these experiences. Really, you can, the, the way you can start is locally, you know, mm -hmm. at, at medical, at MD or DO schools, wherever you're at, you know, there's student organizations such as SOMA, the American Medical Association Medical Student Section or American Medical Student Association, right? right so right. The student, these three student organizations are the kind of the most premier organizations that if you want to get involved in advocacy, you join them locally. And then right. there's your student association. If you're in California or you're in where I was in New Mexico, these state associations, they're very excited about getting students involved. Sure. So you go to their website, you know, you, you call them, you email them, you let them know that I'm so-and-so. I'm a medical student this year at this medical school in the state. I would like to get involved. Oftentimes, state associations have a day where they visit the capital, and uh -huh. you can go and go to their. Yeah, you can you can do that, uh, or even national organizations too. If you want to get involved, you know that would be the next step. But but getting involved locally is really important. Number two is just just being informed, and and reading you know health policy journals and mm -hmm. and keeping a tab on on what's going on and and that that's going to be really important for you for you to get informed. But don't get intimidated or think you have to do all this stuff. Uh, start locally uh, with local student organizations. That's the first step. Awesome. Awesome. And, and like you said, reading is a huge part of it. And I see that, you know, when, when I watch, when I, when I go through my Twitter feed, I see that you're always, you, you seem to always have a, a very strong voice about policy and stuff like that. So do you find that social media is a great avenue for learning about this stuff too? It is. So it, it, there's a lot of potential in social media with, with everything, you know, there's potential and there's harm. The potential is, is that you can have a rapid dissemination of information. Right. The harm is it, it could be inaccurate. There's not that peer review process. Sure, uh, sure. There's not that formality. So keep that in mind. Right. So when you look at what someone is tweeting about policy, uh, you know, examine it for yourself. You know, do cross-examine it, research the topic. For right. example, I talk a lot about teaching health center graduate medical education. And, you know, so Google that. Look, look that up. See what I'm right. talking about. Am, yeah, am, am yeah. I saying something accurate? But I think social media has a lot of potential. I, I often share links. I often share, uh, you know, my opinions about different policy matters. And it's, it's, I'm able to also hear about other people's opinions. And, yeah. and that's another key point is when you get involved in policy, don't be so set in stone 
about your beliefs, you know, be flexible and listen to the different viewpoints. It'll enhance your own perspective. Sure. Sure. So the best, so kind of like, you know, how we're trained in, in medical school to have this scientific sort of process, just look at things objectively. So you recommend the same approach essentially, right? Absolutely. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So, you know, going from there, it seems like, you know, you've, you seem like you know what you want to do with your life. You, you have like a, a plan that you're executing and you're trying to go forward and be a leader in your community, be a leader at a national level. Um, so, you know, who are your heroes and inspiration? Who's inspired you to be who you are today and get you where you are? Yeah. You know, it's a great question. My inspiration and heroes, you know, my parents, of course. Yeah. Outside of my parents, Muhammad Ali. Yes. Kobe Bryant, you know, with you there. Yeah. Yeah. And Nipsey Hussle, Tupac. These people are my heroes for multiple reasons. The reason, you know, the, the common thread of all these individuals, it's funny, you know, my Pakistani mom and Nipsey Hussle, what do they have in common? Right. <laughs> or, or my dad and Kobe, but they do. Sure. And the common thread is that they all have a very strong work ethic. Right. And uh, all these individuals, for me, what I learned from them is to have a very, very strong work ethic, mm -hmm. to not make excuses, to never take kind of a victim's mentality, take ownership uh, of your situation yeah. and be accountable for yourself. And uh, also enjoy the process. Yeah. You know, yeah. Don't just, uh, you know, Kobe always said that. Enjoy the process. Muhammad Ali always emphasized in practice, you know, how it was hard and difficult, but, you know, that's where you really get better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't, don't get so caught up in the end goal that you ignore the present. Yeah. Don't, don't get so excited about, oh, I want to get into medical school. I want to become an ophthalmologist and then I'll be happier and then I'll relax. No, right. because when you get there, there's going to be a new goal and then you're going to want to do that and you're going to become this rat race. So, those people, you know, have inspired me to always work hard and, and not be lazy. And yeah. So, so I'm very thankful to all of them. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I'm from, I'm from the Louisville, uh, Kentucky area. And so Muhammad Ali is, he's a legend here. So, you know, I, I do recommend for anybody who's out there who has not seen Ali, the movie starred by Will Smith playing Muhammad Ali. Fantastic movie. I can't believe I, it took this long for me to watch it, but I just watched it during the whole quarantine period. And it was a fantastic movie. Great acting. Also the HBO documentary, uh, what's my name with Muhammad Ali going through all his fights. Fantastic mate is well, well made. So plug for that for anybody who's not seen that, that content. <laughs> so, yeah. So that sounds, I mean, that's awesome. And I really like your, your point about work ethic and, you know, I'm in the stage right now where I'm, I'm below you in terms of uh, transitioning to hopefully be, you know, going through applications and, and applying for ophthalmology. And, and I definitely sometimes feel like I'm like way too focused and tunnel vision on, on this goal to where I'm, I, I'm reaching and doing projects and focus on this one thing. But like you said, it's always going to continue and we have to keep in sight. I feel like what we're, what we're trying to accomplish and what's going to make us happy and, 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 you know, in terms of keeping priorities and, and working hard, but enjoying the process. So I like okay. that you touched on that. You're, you're so, going to look back and you're going to enjoy this time and you're never going to yeah. be, you know, a fourth year, a rising fourth year again. You're never going to do these apps again. Right. You know, this is stuff you should take in because when you when you get there you look back and you're like you know that was a nice time yeah absolutely it is stressful it's easy for me to say but you know just try it no no absolutely i mean yeah. I, I mean I, I definitely can see the point where you're, where you're making where it's, it's fun to work hard and then you can enjoy the process too i think so exactly yeah yeah so you know like i said i'm, I'm an applicant i know other applicants are, are hopefully watching this video and this series of uh you know these there's uh, meetings that I'm having and recording. So what is your singular best advice? I mean, I, you, I, I heard you on the webinar. I don't know if everybody watched that webinar, uh, matching a missed COVID-19 in ophthalmology, but kind of touch on the, on, on the things that you would recommend for people who are applying in ophthalmology this year with the virtual interview process and, and you know, in, in terms of all that stuff, what, what you can see being an advantage for, for us and, and what you kind of take away and what you took away from your process too just a year ago. Yeah, you know, for me, we mentioned, we touched upon this earlier, coming from a smaller school, kind of in a, in a less known area, you know, if my school was in southern New Mexico in Las Cruces, 
and we had no ophthalmology department. And then if you zoom out a little bit, we had, I think one or two ophthalmology practices in the city itself in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So not many opportunities. Then you look at the entire state of New Mexico, there was no ophthalmology residency programs. So I had to be very resourceful to get, you know, networking and, and social media was, was a key part of that. I was on Instagram and Twitter and I you know, utilized that a lot. I followed a lot of Instagram uh, ophthalmologists and, and I would DM them and, and in a sincere way, not to just, you know, DM them for no reason, but there was a, there was a ophthalmologist, Dr. Melendez in New Mexico and, and we had that in common and he was going to a conference that I was going to as well. So I let him know that, you know, I was going to be there. And when I was at the conference, I introduced myself to him and, and said, I would love to have a shadowing opportunity with you. And he was very graceful and, and said, of course, come on up. And, and, and I had to just take the offer and I ran with it. You know, I was in my OBGYN rotation and I made an excuse to leave early and I drove, you know, four and a half hours, however long it was to get to his clinic. And I went there for, you know, eight hours and then I drove right back. And the point of that story is, you know, you got to be kind of relentless and have this type of uh, work ethic and mentality towards this yeah. goal, because that's what it's going to take, especially if you come from a smaller school. I also went to Grand Rounds locally at the nearest department I could. For me, that was University of Arizona in Tucson. So okay. I would frequent their Grand Rounds. Again, I would have to, you know, have to wake up early and get to their Grand Rounds and introduce myself to them. Sure. And I was able to get research from that, from, you know, going there. And I was able to get a lot of recommendation out of that as well. So again, the principles of being relentless, introducing yourself, being sincere, mm -hmm. attending, you know, attending conferences whenever and wherever you can. And then for me, having that MPH background, I was fortunate that I was able to create some of my own research projects and, and, and submit that related to policy and public health and ophthalmology. And, and through all this stuff, you know, I made myself a known commodity by attending conferences, by being active on social media, by shadowing local ophthalmologists wherever they were even if local meant four hours mm -hmm. i made myself a, a more of a known commodity sure. and you know for for do students there's a there's a single accreditation process now and mds and do's now all train under the acgme this is something that's new and right. as a result of that you know we all have more opportunities there, there are more programs to apply to and it's that's something that i think do's should really take advantage of and at the end of the day i think it, it becomes about unique characteristics, you know, how can you make yourself a unique applicant? Everyone's going to have outstanding scores. Everyone's going to have a great story with amazing research. You know, what can you do to make yourself unique? For me, it was my policy work. And I think that really stood out during my application and my interview, you know, process. It was brought up in every interview, you know, your, the people talking about my policy work. Yeah. So that was how I made myself unique. Also randomly, I was in a movie in my first year of medical school. Oh, no way. Uh, yeah, I was an I was an extra. So like that was like a weird, funny thing that I was that I did, and for fun, and okay. uh, and that was brought up like you know by everyone. So what yeah. are unique things for for you for each person? Those are gonna be different. For some people, they may have like a biomedical background or engineering background, or for you, it's medical education and you know through social media, mm -hmm. whatever that is. Come up with a couple of unique things about you that'll make you distinct and memorable. And those are for me. It was policy and, and that movie that I was in. Yeah, wait. So, what's this movie called? We we need to know what is it called. I've never so so it's it's called Twelve. I was I never seen the movie. I haven't, I didn't see the movie. <laughs> okay, but okay. It, it's called Twelve Strong. Okay. With Chris Hemsworth. So, wow. so we applied as a joke. I uh, the story behind that is they do a lot of movies in New Mexico. They shoot a lot of these films. You'd be surprised. Okay. And um, they had a casting call, and one of my friends thought it would be. They had a casting call for Taliban, and so my oh. friend thought it would be hilarious. Oh my gosh! And you know. <laughs> 
to send me and my roommates who were all, you know, three brown guys to send us this Taliban role. And we thought it was hilarious too. So we applied, just, just, we just put our pictures in and in, in, in an email and they responded and they were so excited. They were like, Oh, we want you for two months. We want you to come down here for three months. We're like, you know, we're in medical school. We can't come for two to three months. Maybe we can come for a day. And they said, Oh no, we can't do that. So we had a back and forth basically over, you know, us. <laughs> no <together. way. laughs> yeah. And then eventually they agreed that, okay, you guys can come for a day. And interestingly, the, the reason why we went for a day is because I, we were going to the state Capitol to advocate uh -huh. and all the way back, their shooting location was like in route to our school. So we were like, yeah, we can do that. So we went there and they treated us really well because we, they knew we were medical students. Okay. We got to have dinner with Chris Hemsworth, the director and producer. That's crazy. With them and stuff. Yeah. It was like a huge like circus. And I never saw the movie. And we also refused to play Taliban. We said, we're not going to do that. We're just there you go. Okay. That, that's what I like to hear. Right. Yeah, and, and so then there's an article somewhere. If you look up uh, horse soldiers and my name or something, you'll see yeah. on uh, there's there's like uh, news. Someone you know wrote a couple articles about it because it's just a funny situation. But you know stuff like that. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't have to be like you were a Nobel laureate, right? And right. You, you know, did all this crazy. It could be something funny like that to make you memorable, so they remember. Oh, that's that guy who was. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow, you and Chris Hemsworth just hanging out, huh? Dude, I mean, it was it was a crazy experience. Let me tell you something. I would never want to be in that field. That field is horrific. Those guys work really, really hard. Yeah, it's, they work really hard. Uh, one thing that I missed though is they they have like this this food truck where they can literally you can sell yeah, I've heard it. yeah, and they can create any dish like Chinese, yeah. I mean uh, omelets, right? Whatever the heck you want, man. They can somehow create it, and that, yeah, I missed that part of it. That budget, I mean, the budgets are like millions of dollars for some of these movies. So it's like I feel like they, the catering is like gotta be on point. You know, if you're Chris Hemsworth, I mean, you're gonna have to eat. You gotta get those muscles up. I mean, we were paid two hundred dollars, but the we were right paid. Up. You were paid, dude. Yeah, we Come got on. paid. That's I had to, awesome. to pay taxes on that, I think. <laughs> That's cool. But, uh, but it was, it was, it was, and then after that, we actually got picked for another ABC documentary. I'm telling, you, I'm minimizing this, man. This thing. Man, you up. really are. Let it out. Let it out. And then, and then, so we just, we just didn't care. Like we, because we, we really didn't care. Like we were not <laughs> trying to be. You know what I mean? I'm from LA. I'm not trying to be in movies and stuff. So sure, I, I don't sure. care. You know, so this is just a funny joke turned into something crazy. And yeah. so we got, we got this role in a, an ABC documentary, but we just never went. We okay. they accepted us. We were like, oh, uh, we kind of fell through. We just, and we just never pursued it afterwards. But it was, wow. just, it was a circus. I mean, we would go to local restaurants in, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and people would recognize us and stuff. No way. And like they put us on the front page of the paper, like as if like we had done something incredible. <laughs> and uh, and like someone, a local artist, drew a painting of us, uh -huh. and the painting was in medical school. This is the medical school. Yeah, I mean, this story has so many. I can just keep going. <laughs> so nuts. Yeah, and so like, it's just a ridiculous scenario. And so I would I would share this in interviews, and it would, we would just be like. Like what the hell? That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it's funny because you know we're at one second we're talking about you know sir you, you met the Surgeon General and you know, his policy and you're telling me how you were in a movie in New Mexico and oh man that's crazy but you know people love that and that that's me and that's why the show is honestly below and we want to make it relatable and I yeah. can't relate to that I would love to but yeah. I think it's really cool that you're just open about it and you know tell us. And, about and it the thing is like so so that's an important point you bring up so don't think that you have to you know, meet the Surgeon General and work and public and do and be in a movie to, to match ophthalmology. You know, it can be something, I have a lot of friends who came from smaller medical schools because we kind of banded together during an application cycle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of them, I mean, majority of them, honestly, all of them match. Now I think yeah. of it, 
and they all matched and none of you know they didn't all have crazy stories i mean they just had something unique something right. unique to identify them that yeah. i came from this background or you know i have an engineering background or i'm really passionate about this or that so it doesn't have to be something so grand but but something unique is is going to help you for sure sure so that's and another thing, sorry one more thing sorry could you, ahead, you know the webinar you mentioned we're going to do another webinar uh, soon, hopefully, uh, to help get into some of the nitty gritty about personal statements and formatting. Oh, wow, yeah. San Francisco match is an open text, so you can format it however you want. You can bold and italicize stuff mm -hmm. and highlight stuff, and it may seem like it's not a big deal, but that stuff matters. And the way you order stuff and the way you prioritize things makes a difference. Because like if you apply to ERAS or NRMP, everything's kind of cookie cutter. You, you input your information and then they box it up for you and they format it. So you have an opportunity to really format things in an SF match. So we're going to get into some of that stuff. And we're going to do that soon, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks. Great, great. Yeah, and I'll, I mean, I'm going to make sure to spread the word about that so people know once again. And, and for anybody who's out there, um, if you have Instagram, today I saw an awesome post by at Opto Bros. They actually went through and talked about how they organize um, how to write in, in, in the SF Match application. So it's really useful for people out there. It was talking about how to format and, and you know, making bullet points. So if there's anybody out there who's going to be applying this up for me, fall like me, uh, definitely check it out. It looked, it was really great, uh, great post. So Harse, it's been absolute pleasure. Um, once again, it was great to finally meet you. We've actually never met like this. So this is, this is a great, um, great opportunity and, and you're welcome to come back anytime. And, and I really appreciate you coming on. Of course, man. I, I'm glad I'm very thankful that you're doing this for students. I hope they gain something from it between all the stuff we talked about. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> we went everywhere. Yeah. We went everywhere. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad to help in any way that I can in the future yeah. as well. Well, you've been a great resource for me. And I am hopefully the other students will also see that you can help them too. So, so I really want to thank you one more time. And thank you everybody for watching this video. You can follow me at honestly Bilal on Instagram and also on Twitter at Bilal underscore 1712. I'm going to be providing you more videos and I'm actually going to be starting my first medical student interview tomorrow. So Arjun Watain is going to be on here. He's for the medical student at University of Miami. So looking forward to having him on and, and we'll see you then. Thanks for joining.